Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Hola, hola, hola! Welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast for another week of brilliant cycling on SBS. Before we start uh, detailing all this, let me remind you that you can uh, download or stream our podcast on uh, SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cyclingcentral from our website, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral or schedule a ride with our lovely friends at Zwift. What a week we had and what a stage we had yesterday. The final few corners for Chris Froome, and he is flying towards the line. The time of Calderman, Froome will go the better and extend his lead in the race for the red jersey. It is fabulous Froome who finds the finish line first. 47 minutes exactly. Brilliant. 29 seconds, bettering the time of Vilko Calderman. He just showed how good he is at that, didn't he? Nailed it. And brilliant was the world. With me today, uh, the usual crew, Sophie Smith, welcome back. Thank you. And Pat, Pat Show, how are you? Great, and uh, looking forward to you getting off the fence this week. Oh, that's going to be uh, interesting. <laughs> At least I haven't got the hell cold, so that's probably uh, hopefully going to help. That's my excuse for last week. Brilliant was the word by uh, Maka over this victory from Chris Froome on the uh, stage 16. What do you make of it? He was quite incredible. I think he would have been the favourite going into that time trial sort of undisputed and I think him um, mentally he sounds more and more confident in his resolve to take this lead all the way through to Paris and his rivals I think after to that to, yeah sorry there <laughs> you go <laughs> thank you <laughs> same same but different and his rivals in my opinion have already sort of conceded defeat I don't know if they were convinced of that before the time trial but in my opinion I think afterwards, even uh, Nibbly, it was a quote overnight when uh, he said, it's going to be very difficult to beat Froome. Um, that can sound like a throwaway line, but in my experience working with World Tour riders or winners of, of that calibre, when someone admits that or puts another athlete in front of themselves, um, it's a mental concession. Yeah, there's two minute difference. That's a, that's a huge gap. And probably lucky that it was faster conditions for the GC riders. Like towards the end of the time trial uh, last night, it was the better conditions for those riders. And that probably limited the most of the general classification riders' time difference to Froome. I think uh, actually a lot of them did a very good time trial. Zacharin really impressed. Absolutely. And he's still not. He's the, He hasn't come out and said that he's giving up. And he definitely won't. And, and I don't care what anyone says. I'm still... Very hopeful that uh, Contador will finish on the podium. And the one thing that we can guarantee with Contador is he's going to throw caution to the wind. Uh, so I think how far is he? How far is he from the podium? Is it like <laughs> two, two minutes and a half or something? Two and a half. But that got to let it go. No, nah, <laughs> got to let it go. You know, you've got to think of the, just his his past, and you can't let it go. And they won't let it go either. But if they do, he'll finish on the podium. And I hope he goes long. And I hope it's tonight after the time trial. Riders will start today. I think. Oh, it's all set in stone. GC's got itself in cement it's not and it's the Vuelta it's not the, the Tour de France it's the Vuelta and things uh, go a little bit uh, crazy and but will, will Sky let him 
uh, do this? Will Sky Lee give Absolutely him the space? not. Look, he's going to light it up a bit. He's going to animate the race, but I'd say a portion of his head is thinking about celebratory. I don't agree. Sangria no. and <laughs> I don't agree. Madrid, not Paris. I don't agree because I think that it will put other teams. So Zacharin, for example, Kelderman will have to protect their podium. It's a really good situation for Team Sky. They won't have to use up all their resources. It's a fantastic situation. If you could get, if I could, if I was Team Sky, I could get Contador in the move without any other GC guys, obviously. Um, maybe even potentially get an Orica Scott rider in there, Jack Haig or a Yates. Um, it's fantastic because you're going to have that pressure on the other teams. And uh, look, you know, Chavez won't be giving up either. You know, we know what he did last year. Um, he does not give up. And Orica Scott will not be happy with that, just a, a, a mediocre top 10. And that's what it has been because the expectations were high coming into the Vuelta with three general classification legitimate general classification options. Mm-hmm. I think it's over. I think people are riding for stages now. I thought there was always, uh, you know, there's, there's still plenty of kilometres. Stuff can happen. I mean, it's probably over for the for the, the red jersey. Um, but behind, I don't know, there's still some opening. There's still some opening, but it's minor places. <laughs> I think it'd be more, I don't know if Contador would be so concerned about getting on the podium or not. I think a stage would probably be um, a good result for him and but how's he going to take a stage if he doesn't go up the road he's not going to beat for him in any of the stages that would consider to be an option for winning the stage you're going to have Movistar who have still not won a stage in their home tour they're going to be chasing they're going to be aggressive and I think they'd be happy to do a deal with Contador and say we'll drive it to the line if you give us the stage I I do not agree one bit with this they've given up and particularly with, with Contador this is his last race it's not a joke this guy like he represents something else and he's a lot of people are saying he's after he's gone who's going to entertain because everyone else is just happy to run the structured sort of race that that sits in front of them well he's an entertainer and he's not going to go down without a fight it's going to be really interesting this last few days as we head to uh, Madrid if we just go back to stage 16 uh, and that time trial what does that say about the the claw that Froome has on this on this year's Vuelta he's won a stage up the mountain stage 9 I believe he's won a time trial I mean is he a superhuman? Well, it seems like he is because uh, physiologically it doesn't make any sense. You know, he's the fastest climber and he's the fastest time trialist on the flat. He, he, he just is incredible. And, you know, we already know how great he is, but we're all just waiting for that kink in his armour. Like, where is he going to make a mistake or where is it going to fall away? And how long is this stranglehold going to be, you know, Chris Frooms and Team Skies? And I think that um, we're all sort of hoping that it stops because it may make it a lot more interesting again. I think his mental conviction more than anything is probably his biggest advantage staying on this <laughs> mental angle that I'm going on. You have to remember this was a guy that, you know, as a kid went spearfishing on the weekend um, and he wasn't silver spoon fed necessarily. He didn't come through an academy structure like British Cycling or like Cycling Australia have. He really, I think he created a fake email account to race for a African national team at some point. He's done the hard yards. I mean, everyone does the hard yards to get to where he is, but I think he's really had to prove himself coming up to where he is and he knows what he wants and he's frustrating to interview for him because it doesn't matter how you come at him or how you attack him. His composure is just, he's always very polite. He's always well-spoken and he doesn't give a lot away. I agree on this. Like when you, you go with the first question and the answer comes back, you can't harm him on the second question. He's so nice. You just you have to crumble. You go, okay. I thought it was interesting <laughs> to hear his response to uh, it was presented with the question if you were not Team Sky, how would you beat Team Sky? And he said, well, I wouldn't. I'd go for stages. I thought that was a bit of a 
sort of arrogant and um, he just hasn't answered the question there. <laughs> yeah. yeah but <laughs> that it's would just... be giving something away it's like when you ask an athlete you ask Marcel Kittle for his power data he they say nothing I think he might change tactics but um Froome's a guy that he, he's a bit elusive in that respect in that it is really hard to get an idea of of what he's like underneath I mean I think to win races like he does um, and to have a team properly back him and Sky behind closed doors have over the years had a lot of issues with riders not subscribing to that whole wet holy going for him but every year they pull it off and you have to have a fair bit of mongrel in you I think yeah, for want of a better term A to get your team to ride like that and B just to ride like that yourself on the road. And there's one, there's something you're going to pick me up on this. Only two riders, and they're both French, uh, have won the Vuelta and the Tour de France in the same year. It's Jacques Anquetil in 1963 and Bernard Reynaud in 1973. No other riders have won both in the same year since the Vuelta moved to September. How incredible is from if he does this? Oh, it's like the stats speak themselves, don't they? <laughs> on, on how rare an achievement it is. And it is one that he's been chipping away at now for quite a few years. So it's not like he's sort of come out of the woodwork this year and, and it's happened at the click of his fingers. Yeah. This has been um, a work in process over, over years. Um, See, my reading on this is he's so good he would deserve to be French. He deserves to be French. Goodness, Chris. <laughs> You're like all over the place. Last week you sit on the fence, you don't say anything, put it all on us. The week before that, you've got like an avert French bias and, and we're yeah. back. This one week in, one week out. But yeah. oddly, <laughs> oddly enough, though, he's he looks poised to do this in the most difficult year for general classification, the most challenging year he's ever faced. There's more challenges go to the Tour de France this year in better condition than ever before, like in the years that he's contested for the general classification and then even to the Vuelta it's nearly the best GC field that turned up on the start line okay we didn't know their condition etc but he's going to he pull rips, it he rips two minutes into he's them he's two minutes out of it so he goes to the Tour de France seemingly wins the Tour de France on 80% form he comes to the Vuelta in better condition and he beats the riders that have skipped the Tour de France to come to the Vuelta in better condition so he's going to do it in the toughest situation and he's going to pull it off and it is full stop superhuman And what's even more scary uh, is the fact that he's not ruling out to be uh, there at the World Championship. He's on the long list, I think. It's an odd long list that British Cycling have put out this week. Got a few names there. Mark Cavendish was also there. Been, you know, he's sort of doing his bit, bit of teamwork at the Tour of Britain. Um, I'll be interested to see what who they go with in terms of selections. Australia's, as we know, I think we're about to touch base on it, pick Michael yeah. Matthews, but there's a bit of uncertainty about how difficult this course but is th going to be, whether it could yeah. actually suit um, more of a climb or a, more of a versatile. But can they de facto say, look, no, we're not bringing you because you can't win. But he's, he's just won the Tour de France, just won the Vuelta. If he decides to be there, has he got his, his, his seat reserved for him just because he's done this this year? If it's not already decided, I would say maybe it's a conversation they have in the, ne in the next couple of days might be determined on how he recovers from the World Tour or even what his objectives are next season if he, if he has to come back quite early next season. Okay, it's going to be interesting in the next few, uh, in the next few days. Uh, 
We are going to talk about Jack Haig as well, because I think he's, from an Australian point of view, has been the, really the shining star of this Vuelta. Uh, he's a mate of yours, I think, uh, Pat. Yeah, well, we were teammates for a period of time, and it's fantastic that we get to talk about him today, because it's actually Jack Haig's birthday. So uh, happy birthday to Jack. I'm not going to get you to sing, but happy birthday to Jack. You don't want me to sing. <laughs> oh, go on, go on. <laughs> you well, said that, you, well, you're good at editing, but how good? <laughs> need some serious Britney Spears auto-tune for that one. <laughs> And okay. Then. Okay. We'll take a short break. We'll have a chat with Jack Haig, and then we we'll come back on the other side. You're listening to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Don't you dare go anywhere. From the virtual world, Zwift produces real-world results. Zwift employees recently put this to the test in Iceland at the Wall Cyclathon. With a team of nine, they went head-to-head with some of the top teams in the world, and they won. Funny backstory to it is that to make the team, Zwift employees had a selection program where they all had to try out through competing in a series of workouts. Once selected, they then did their training primarily on Zwift as a means of really putting the product to the test. Learn more about Zwift and their team at Zwift.com today. And now in the Zwift uh, Cycling Central podcast, we have the pleasure to speak to Jack Haig all the way from Spain, all the way from the Welter. Hi, Jack. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you, yourself? Uh, pretty good. And I'm, I'm actually very pleased to, uh, to talk to you because uh, I've been watching you uh, on late nights on, on SBS and uh, you've been putting out some, uh, some great performance. And uh, I guess the question is, how are you feeling on this? Uh, on this uh, we, we're heading towards the end of the, the Vuelta. How are you, how are you feeling? Ah, not too bad, actually. I've been, I'm feeling quite good, to be honest. I feel much better than I did last year at this point of the tour. Last year was the first time I did the Vuelta and the whole time I was pretty much on my hands and knees. So to come back this year and be able to perform at a relatively okay level is, is a nice, nice feeling. Yeah, last year you finished 117th, and uh, today, as when we speak, your your classification is 23rd. Uh, that's that's a that's a pretty big uh, step up. Yeah, massively. But also, I think one thing that we do quite well in this team is, and sometimes you see in other teams when you're riding to the finish, that everyone has a job. And sometimes this is hard to explain within cycling. Everyone has a job within inside the team, and the idea is once your job's done. You sit up and you try and ride as economically as possible to the finish because every little bit of energy you can save to the end can go towards helping our objective, which when we came to the Volta, we had three GC leaders and the objective was to try and get every one of them as high as possible and try and win the race. And as the race went on, it slowly whittled down to only having Esteban as the solo person left in general classification. And now the objective is to try and get him to win the race, which at the moment is quite a hard ask and I think uh, something would have to go wrong for Froomey to lose this race at the moment but now is more shifting towards making sure we can get Esteban onto the podium. Uh, in terms of uh, your role in the team, you say everybody's got, has got a job and it's, does that has it been changing over the last maybe few months or maybe over the last year at, at Orica Scott? Because there's been, we talked lengthily at the Tour de France, how, how now you guys are shaping yourself as a, as a GC team. Uh, is that a complete different approach that you think it was maybe a couple of years ago? I know you were not in the team a couple of years ago, but when you first came in, for example? Um, of course, yeah, definitely a couple of years ago, it's changed quite massively. But also, um, since I've been in the team, the, it, there hasn't been too much of a dramatic change because we've had Esteban and the Yates here since I've arrived. But personally, my job's changed quite a bit, and that's just because of my development 
I've been able to now stay longer there in the climbs and be sort of one of the last couple of people to be with Esteban. Whereas last year I didn't have the one experience, but also the physical ability to to be there. So my job was quite early on in the stage, and that was riding in the wind early or making sure I had got, had got the biddens from the car early on to make sure everyone was looked after. Whereas now I play a bit more of a role closer to the end of these stages. And as a young rider, I mean, you, you put it right, you didn't, hear, of course, hear what, for example, Matthew Kinnon said in the coverage, but he said you were one of the last guys amongst the best in the world, because in that, in that climb, uh, they, they were the best in the world, and you were there. How does that feel in your head? Do you, do you feel that, yeah, you, you, you could do this, you, you, could, you could be there, you could challenge there? Yeah, so, again, I sort of had this conversation with Esteban before we started the World Tour and after I won my stage in Poland. And you always sort of, in the back of your mind, think that you can do it. And you always believe that, or you always have like some hope that that's where you want to be in your cycling career. And it's not sort of until something happens, like winning the stage in Poland or coming here and being able to perform quite well and hang with the, some of the best guys in the world really quite close to the finish that you actually truly believe that it can happen. So... Yeah, it's quite exciting for myself at the moment and the last sort of three months and where the race has been going quite well for myself. Because there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter uh, over the last few days where people are saying, I mean, genuinely, I'd love to see uh, Jack as a protected rider and then see how well he could you perform. I guess that's, that's a target sometime in your life to, to maybe be that protected rider in a, in a GC competition. Oh, absolutely. Ever since I started performing quite well through the under-23 ranks and sort of figuring out where my abilities were within cycling, I always sort of thought that hopefully one day I would end up being a leader of a tour, whether that was just in the week-long tours or whether I could achieve the level and be able to be a leader at a grand tour. But for the time being, I'm actually very, very happy just being there and helping other leaders, whether that's Esteban or the Yatesies, and trying to learn and not rush anything because so i think it's quite easy to see some people that have a lot of potential at a young age being really pushed and under a lot of pressure to do that and i'm happy to take a little bit more time and also within orica and the team that i'm in they're really happy to help my development just keep progressing as it is and i think as we've seen just from one year to the next the progression has been quite large so if i can keep even half of that progression going i'll be happy Yeah, that's great. That's good to hear. Uh, I mean, just from a, from a rider's point of view, how much has Chris Froome and the Sky guys get a claw on that race? Because when we are sitting on our couch uh, on late hours uh, back in Australia, as you, you probably know, uh, we realize that uh, there, is a, there is a big clamp on that race uh, and the guys are, are, are muzzling this. How difficult is it to, uh, to get them out of their pedestal? To be honest, it's been incredibly impressive. I think if you ask anyone in the peloton, they'll continue to say how impressively strong Sky have been this whole race. And to be able to ride on the front the way they have, to be able to ride on the mountains, on the flats, control the brakes, do everything. I think, yeah, they have quite a big grasp on the tour, uh, on the welter. And I think everyone's kind of hoping that maybe in this last week that all the accumulated load of the first two weeks is going to add up and we can really try and shake things up. But you never know, they've got such a strong team and yeah, it's going to be incredibly hard to 
be able to take Froome off the Leeds jersey. That's what I mean you're not going to try, yeah? No, of course we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> One other question, actually, uh, after the Vuelta, we've got, of course, the, the World Championship. Uh, Matthews is one major, uh, we all believe he's one major contender. With the form you're displaying now, what's your, what's your thinking around the World Championship? I've looked into it a little bit, and the course, uh, yeah, is almost perfect for Michael Matthews and, and I think to be able to ride for Australia is always a, a nice thing. I've done two Road World Championships before it on a 23 and both of them have been great experiences and to be able to do my first Elite World Champs would be awesome. And one last question because Zwift is our sponsor and a little bird told me that uh, you are using Zwift as well. Is that part of your schedule? A bit of a, a bit of riding on Zwift? I do use Zwift quite a bit up at my home in Andorra especially during the winter when uh, this January actually I didn't go back to Australia and I spent two weeks in January riding Zwift one and one hour one hour and a half every morning and then I would go skiing three hours in the day because it was not possible to ride outside but uh no, I do enjoy using Zwift quite a bit when uh, it's either raining or too cold in Andorra. Thank you for all your time I know it's been a real pleasure to have you in a, in the in the podcast thank you. No worries thank you very much. Zwift has structured workouts created by some of the top coaches in the world we're all looking to take our training to the next level and Zwift has really incredible workouts that make you sweat. Several of the workouts were actually created by Kevin Poulton, who's a world tour coach and also the coach of Matt Heyman. He's good, really good. He'll help you increase your FTP in no time at all, taking you through single workouts or complete training plans all in Zwift. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Uh, welcome back to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. How good is Jack Haig, honestly? Well, he's brilliant, and it's not just him because as an athlete, I can tell you right now, he ticks every single box. He is so disciplined, it's amazing. When, he, when I was on the team with him, I used to think to myself, how can you really be bothered? He never stopped because he was always doing everything perfect. He actually reminds me a lot of an Australian type of Chris Froome in the fact that he does everything right. Uh, outside of that, he's had a tremendous amount of support from Orica Scott in his development. No rush at any point. And look, they're going to reap the rewards for that because they're going to have a general classification contender for any of the three tours, whichever way he goes in the following you know, decade. And it's going to be incredibly exciting for us uh, Australians sitting at home. I mean, Horika Scott next year is going to look quite awesome because, uh, you know, you've got Nieve coming across, Haig really putting uh, this. How, how excited are we for, for them for next year? Well, they're really backing the Yates brothers and, and Chavez going forward. They changed their entire orientation for those three. And I think their re- recruitments they've made um, are reflective of, of that. They're certainly putting all, a lot of their resources, if you know, the majority behind supporting those three writers um, mm-hmm. and you probably know Jack's strengths better than me. I've not interviewed Jack, I don't think. Um, but the selections they've made, I think, will certainly go away in helping their endeavours next year. I think they're going to be. A, it's going to be a very interesting year because they're going to have to make some pretty tough choices on what riders are going to do and those riders are going to have to buy in. They're building a semi-sky sort of format. You know, They've got this super team now and if they all decide to go to the same race, they'll be very difficult to beat. But I would expect Nieve to go to one of either Vuelta or uh, the Giro. He'll get a chance to go for a general classification there and ride uh, in support of uh, whomever they decide to ride for at the Tour de France. I think they've also got to be actually, though, careful of, of not... Um, 
hiring out some of their support riders. If you look at um, Sky, they really go all in for the Tour de France. Yes, they've got GC ambitions at the Giro and the Tour, uh, sorry, the Giro and the Vuelta, um, but the Tour is the one where they really do send, they send their A-team, they send people that are proven. And I'm not sure how Orica Scott with three leaders. Like, yes, you can go great power in numbers, but a lot of the time having three leaders at one race doesn't work. What I'm more intrigued about is that they're sending these riders like Haig to the Vuelta again this year like they did last year. It's a development thing. They've sent the Yates brothers here to the Vuelta and okay, they haven't performed real well, but they're getting two Grand Tours in their legs in one in one season. That's incredibly important for their development going forward. Uh, so it's all a big plan and they know that they wasn't going to hit off. They hoped for Chavez to do a big result here. It's not going to probably happen, but next year's going to be huge for Orica Scott. Absolutely, yeah. Haig as well, uh, because it's, it's a good uh, way to talk about the World Championship. He's been selected in the Australian elite team. A bit of controversy on that team, don't you think? Uh, a lot of controversy, actually. <laughs> I'm uh, being polite here. <laughs> yeah, 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 because um, obviously everyone's scratching their head about the uh, selection of Heinrich Hausler. He's only raced uh, how many... Race eight, eight, eight race, race days. days. So uh, yeah, the question season. is why? Why Hustler? I mean, they all said there's no plan B. Could he be actually the hidden plan B for, for Australia? I've been scratching my head over a few days and I've sort of come to a conclusion just for my own mental okay. health. <laughs> okay. Well, we touched on this last week, didn't we, that yeah. we'd spoken to Simon Jones and he had said um, that there was a good chance they were not going to fill their full qualified quotas in the women's road race team and in the men's road race team. They didn't in the women's road race team and we touched last week on why. I haven't spoken to selectors since the announcement was made um, and I actually really, or Henrik for that for that matter, and I'm not sure why you would put him in the team. He's off contract as well, I still think. So whether there's some sort of deal there. You're, take, you're taking my seat on the fence, yeah? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm just admitting that I don't know. But thank you for pointing that out. That's wonderful. So <laughs> Making I'll... you blush later. I was going to take it easy <laughs> One this week. Exactly. But yeah, game on. Um, no, I don't know whether it's maybe he's proved himself to national selectors. On a, this course, like if he'd had a good season would suit him. It would suit his strengths, but he's raced just over a week the entire year. He's had big problems um, with his knee. He's a new dad as well. Pat's a dad. Like <laughs> That probably comes into it a little bit. Um, I don't think the selectors, particularly having spoken to Simon and how ruthless he is, he's really got that. He's from British High Performance. That's obvious. He's quite ruthless in selections and he was very much so willing, and he's done it with the women's team, um, to not send a full, full nine riders. So there is there has to be a reason that we don't know about yet why Honrik has made that team. A few things. Let's not all get upset yet because I still think the women can win the world championship. Even with, think, a, with, a, with a crew? Well, they've selected the right riders. Mm-hmm. That's as far as I'm concerned. That's the most crucial part. You can send 20 riders if you want. If they're, none of them are good enough to win, it doesn't matter. So uh, Gracie Alvin can win. Sarah Roy in different circumstances can also win as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, you know, they've obviously got some uh, cards to play with. Katrin Garfoot and uh, Amanda Spratt, they're very strong riders and they can go in long breakaways. They've shown that all all season. Yes, it's disappointing the full contingent hasn't been sent, but they're still going to get on with the the show with the men in consideration of the men. I think the biggest problem was the lack of riders that elected to, to, to 
to ride the World Championships. I'm very disappointed, and I think a lot of people would be to hear that because it is your national pride, you know, to wear the jersey. Um, most years, there's too many riders to take, and riders miss out, and they're always complaining that they've missed out on World Championship selection. This year, we haven't got a single men's rider posting anything on social media about a lack of um, consideration for selection. So that certainly does make it seem like there was not a lot of uh, riders to select from. Um, the only riders that I could see that could perform on that circuit and help uh, Michael Matthews towards uh, a potential world championship was uh, Nathan Haas, uh, Miles Scottson or Robert Power. Now, um, for some reason, those three riders haven't been selected. Now, whether that was a personal choice or whether that was because they didn't want to ride uh, for that common goal, I don't know. As far as uh, Heinrich Housel is concerned, I, do, I don't like this whole there's no plan B because it leaves you wide open, particularly with the versatility of what will be the Belgian team. Uh, they're not looking for a bunch sprint with Philippe Gilbert and uh, Greg Van Avermaet. So I think um, that he is the plan B. It's, it's it's a very strange plan B. He hasn't had a lot of racing, but he is a guy that can survive on hard courses. He won the National Road Championships as a sprinter. He could get around this course. He went in the breakaway. That could be their choice. I don't think they've got a plan B. I think they're, they're, it's Matthews, and if Matthews fails on, their, on that course, then they, they take it out on the road. But this is very much, I think, the first uh, reflection. I think we're going to see many of... of that the impact or sort of influence Simon's having from the top down. And I disagree. I don't think you need a plan B. If you look at um, the winners from the last few world championships, Mark Cavendish um, in Copenhagen, he was Britain's plan A. That was it. They didn't have a plan B. If he didn't work, too bad. They're out. Peter Sagan was the same with Slovakia. I agree with what's, and this is Simon's point of view, that if you have too many options in the road. It didn't work in Richmond. Simon Gerrans and, and Michael Matthews, it's well documented. It worked for Cadell, it worked for Cadell though, when he won uh, in Mendrizio because it was him and Gero that were joint leaders. It can work. I don't agree because you cannot say the team that Australia has selected works well as no plan B when the other nations are selecting teams with versatility. What do they do when Belgium and the, and the other bigger nations, maybe Italy, representing the breakaway, do they ride the front all day? If they do that, they're going to be isolated and then, you know, that's where Sagan can win because he's then one-on-one with Matthews. If he's one-on-one with Matthews, then it's a, it's a flip of the coin. Um, having a plan B is integral and I don't believe that there isn't a plan B. And I think if there was no plan B, the last thing you would be doing is coming out and saying, we have no plan B. I disagree. <laughs> and I'll sit on that fence this time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can Sagan be beaten there? to be honest, because we know what happened at the Tour de France. We know how much of a fighter he is, how much he loves that jersey. He's not ready to give up that jersey. How how much this is going to play into this this competition? He'll be going for it and he'll be fresh because he got disqualified from the Tour de France and maybe a little bit angry from that still. And if this Peter Sagan's very good at turning emotion into um, to results, some people get caught up on it and and they can unravel if they get emotional about something. He's qu- quite the opposite. He's very good at so he's the channeling it. He's the man to be. And, and again, he doesn't need a big team to do that. I think Slovakia normally qualify one or two riders. And yes, he's like Peter Sagan. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of a, you're talking about something something else there. Um, but Belgium will go on with a big team. The Dutch will go on a big team. And it hasn't helped them in recent years. And I think everyone's still a bit uncertain on this about this course and how difficult um, 
it might be. And, you know, the home nation, Norway, they've got some contenders too. You can't you can't undermine them either. Absolutely. I think with Chris Froome saying that he's interested in doing the World Championships, it sends a pretty clear message that this course is freaking hard. And, uh, yes, uh, Sagan can win. He's not – I don't think he's the out-and-out favourite. I think Michael Matthews is the out-and-out favourite. However, the thing that you've got to remember is there's also trade teams that race this race, and Poland may not have – many desires for a result but uh, if Bodnar is riding after doing the time trial he would be more than happy to go all in for Sagan knowing that he's riding on Bora next year and he's going to get a healthy little uh, salary increase and um, don't worry those will be called in and so they should like Sagan he carries those stripes so fantastic for the sport of cycling and he's probably uh, overall you know he's the most amazing thing that's happened to our sport in a, in a long time. Absolutely, we'll have a, we'll have a special podcast next week on a, on the World Championship. Uh, any other business? Uh, I'd like to start with uh, Talensky retiring. Uh, how much of this is due to the fact that Cannondale Drapak is in a bit of a bother? Well, we don't we don't know, do we? Um, he's been pretty open on it, but we can speak. He's been. On over, I mean, you can only speculate there yeah. because we still don't know what's happening with Cannondale. I think they're clinging on to different hopes here and there. So whether he's just doesn't have the motivation to continue racing. He's had a very checkered career. He was once touted as a Grand Tour contender and then had a few injuries and sort of never really came back and was considered like um, a contender in those three-week races again. So whether it was something he was considering beforehand and this is kind of he's sat and sort of mulled over the position of the team and just maybe gone too hard basket. I have other projects that have come up with. I'm not sure. I think certainly the position that the team is in at the moment, there might be a few riders that have been forced, or not might, have been forced to consider their careers. Uh, but he's 28. He's 28. He's uh, top 10 Vuelta and uh, top 10 in the uh, Tour de France as well. He's and got a contract those... should not be an issue for him. Contract's not the issue. So I think that it's probably we're citing some form of personal reasons he's stepping away from the sport and whether that's because of, of uh, opportunities that have opened up that he's very interested in and he's got a newfound passion. Well, then that's uh, fine. But I don't think it's got much to do with the collapse of Cannondale and it's becoming less and less likely of survival because uh, I know that um, Vought has put out a, a tweet uh, about three, three days ago. He said, uh, very excited, a big announcement coming very soon. Well, we haven't heard anything since. I don't even think he's tweeted since. So um, it, it's it's looking less and less likely that uh, Canada will continue. But I don't think that has played a role. It potentially may have sort of just given him that push so he could justify it to himself personally. Um, but he seems really happy to, to step away. Uh, he's stepping away on his own merits. It's his choice. And I think sometimes if you're doing it at your, by your own means, regardless of whether his team is uh, falling apart, he would get a contract. So he's stepping out of the sport by his own choice. And I think that that's uh, probably um, not a bad situation. Absolutely. Okay, we'll follow this one up in a, in a weeks to come. Uh, Tour of Britain, to uh, conclude this podcast, Caleb Ewan is in the lead. What do we make of this tour at the minute right now? Well, it's just been a great opportunity for sprinters <laughs> at the moment. We knew that would be the case going in. It was a lot more flat stages. But it's good to see him right there. Yeah, it's great. He's had a few breakthroughs this year. I watched him race um, in Abu Dhabi at the Tour there in, in February. And I think the last stage on the F1 circuit, he just flat out beat you know, Cavendish, Greipel and, and Kittel in an out-and-out sprint. There was no sort of extenuating factors that you could have put that down to so mm -hmm. it's certainly I'm looking forward to seeing his development and um, how he I still don't know how he's going to fit into Orica Scott's uh, yeah, a big question mark, plans yeah. like if he wants to race the Tour de France and I were him I'd probably be shopping 
for another team. But is, he, is he not shopping? Well, well we're not sure. That it, we're, not, <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're, we're not 100% sure there's not some shopping going around. He might have a big, big card he's pushing around. It does, it, look, he's going to get results regardless of where he is, but the inclusion of uh, of the riders they've picked up this uh, um, transfer season's not really boding well for him. But Brenton Jones also fourth overnight. That was a fantastic effort. Uh, he had a bad second stage, but he s- stepped up to the plate in the third stage. Uh, this tour is going to offer these sprinters a lot of opportunities, but it's going to come down to the time trial most definitely um, and who can time trial the quickest uh, out of the sprinters probably. I think Christoph may actually take overall classification, um, but Phil Gilbert threw a, a, a kilom- last kilometre attack last night and almost survived. He's looking very, very ominous uh, for the uh, for the world championships. And uh, we talk about Sagan, we talk about Michael Matthews. Well, Gilbert, he's got like the fire in the belly. He'd love to have the stripes. You're putting Contador on the podium and Gilbert as a world championship. Big odds. Uh, podium both. <laughs> podium both. Well, okay. that was like that was that was big odds. That was good. That was Christoph like taking a position. I'm so proud of you. And then we're gonna end on this. Thank you, <laughs> thank you guys for coming and joining the uh, Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Merci. And uh, we'll see you next week. Certainly will. And this is it for us today for the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Uh, let me remind you that you can uh, download or stream this podcast on our SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cyclingcentral. You can also listen via our website, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral or schedule a ride with our lovely friends at Zwift. This is it for now. We'll catch up with you next week in the next podcast. I guess all is left for me to say is bye for now. Adios. Hasta luego.